0: So, over the last couple of months, uh, unintentionally on a variety of times, I've kind of found myself in the middle of some relational drama. And I, I know in a church like ours, when we have a lot of single young adults, it'd be easy to wonder. I'm not talking about anybody in our church. I know there's plenty of drama in our church that I could talk about, but there have been moments over the last couple of months where I've just kind of found myself walking through some pretty challenging uh, relational dynamics with some people that I really care about. And there have been these two truths that have kind of arisen as I've walked through some of these kind of dynamics with some of my friends. And the first is that as human beings, isn't it true that all of us were created for relational intimacy? Like, you just long for relational intimacy with your friends, with your family, with your coworkers. You long for relational intimacy romantically. Like, there is something in you that God has wired you to know others and to be known by others. And so, it's been in the midst of this drama that I've just kind of seen this truth keep coming to the surface in the midst of all of my friends that there's this angst in them because they long for relational intimacy. And yet the second part of the truth has been equally powerful. It's not just that we are wired for intimacy. It's that although we are wired for intimacy, we as humans, we are quite quite proficient at train wrecking our pursuit of intimacy. You can ask any married couple, just ask my wife, is Dave good at ruining intimacy? And she will, not that kind of intimacy, is he good at ruining relational intimacy? And she will say, yes, you know, like he can wreck uh, relational intimacy, Um, so easily, and uh, I've been seeing this, and I've seen it play out so many ways. One of my friends, for as long as I've known him, he has wanted to be a husband and a father. It's just been like the deepest longing of his heart, but there is this tendency, every time somebody begins to get close to him, this pride starts swelling up in his life, and some of you can probably relate to this. A few months into every dating relationship he's ever been in, he started to wonder, is she good enough for me? And I know that sounds crazy, but some of you know that feeling quite well. You go, man, is she good enough for me? Is she beautiful enough for me? Is, Is she what I've always wanted? Does she meet every criteria on my list? And one of the things that I've seen my friend do over and over and over, every time someone starts to draw near to him, he wrecks his pursuit of intimacy because of pride. Think about another friend of mine that I've known for almost two decades now, and he's on the other end of the spectrum. When relational intimacy comes his way, pride is not the thing that shipwrecks it most times. It's actually pity, It's this self-pity, and so as people begin to draw close to him, whether it's friends or family or someone that he's dating, he has this tendency as people get close to start wondering, am I good enough? Can I actually be loved? Do I deserve to be loved? Do I deserve to have a family? And it's amazing how many times, just as he's on the verge of getting that which he's always wanted, he forfeits intimacy because of pity. And I was thinking about that because, you know, last week we started off this series of the Holy Spirit. We said the only reason we're talking about the Holy Spirit or maybe the primary reason we're talking about the Holy Spirit comes out of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17 where Paul is talking to this church and he says, I pray that you would have more of the Holy Spirit so that you would know God better. I go, I truly believe that whether you're a Christian or not, God has wired you to know God. That God has made you to be more than just a church attender, that he has wired you for relational intimacy with your heavenly father. And yet for a variety of reasons, all of us will at different points forfeit intimacy with God, whether because of pride or pity. Some of you have been in church so long, and this is going to be your challenge as we talk about the Holy Spirit. It's going to be pride. And there's this temptation for you to think, man, I've I've heard everything there's to hear. I've done everything there is to do. I was talking to a guy a few weeks ago. He said, "I've got all of the Holy Spirit I need." And I go, "That to me is evidence that you don't have enough of Him." Because as we begin to experience life with God, we only want more. No one ever says, "My marriage is too sweet. It's it's too good. We're too close." And yet sometimes if you've been in church a long time, there is this tendency for pride. And I truly believe that as we talk about the Holy Spirit, God is going to invite you into a deeper intimacy with him. And some of you are going to be tempted to resist that intimacy through pride. Some of you are going to be tempted to forfeit intimacy with God through pity. And I think about this was my story for so long. I just went, man, I don't know if I'll ever be spiritual enough to have more of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if I'll ever be a good enough Christian. How could God ever use somebody like me? Because I just kept seeing all of my own junk in my life. And I thought, man, is it, is it even possible for God to give me more of himself? And I want you to hear this so clearly. Whether you wrestle with pride or pity, I believe there's a third way. And it's the path of Peace. I kept praying this all week, Romans 15, verse 13, over our church family, over what we're going to study tonight. I kept praying this simple passage where Paul says, I pray that the God of all hope would fill you with peace and joy so that your life would overflow with the hope of God as you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And I go, what an, what an amazing picture. I've just been praying that for you, Ethos, going, man, may the God of all hope fill you, Ethos, with both peace and joy so that the hope of God would overflow in your life as the Holy Spirit fills you more fully. And I go, whatever your story is, whether you're a Christian or not, I hope you hear this so clearly tonight, all the promises of God are available to you because of Jesus. All the promises of God are available to you in Jesus. Whatever your story, do you want more? <laughs> do you want more? And I love this this moment where we pick up in Ezekiel 36 where he begins to lay it on the table. So if you are with us last week, open up to Ezekiel chapter 36. If you're in our Bible, it's going to be page 602. And I just want to remind you of where we were last week. We just let our hearts kind of soak in this huge, beautiful truth where God is speaking to the Israelite people. In verse 20, he says to them, he says, you were made to be my representatives, but instead of being my representatives, wherever you went, look back at verse 20, he said, wherever you went, you profaned my holy name. God says, this is the condition. You were supposed to represent me. Instead, you profaned my holy name. Jump down to verse 27. And this is the promise that God makes to people that have profaned his name, verse 27. And he says, and yet I will put my what? I will put my what? What? I'll put my spirit within you. And this is what we talked about last week. This is the beauty, this is the power of who God is, is that God makes this unbelievable promise that His holy spirit is His gift to the, to the spiritually bankrupt, not to the spiritually elite. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to the spiritually bankrupt, not His reward to the spiritually elite, and it's through Jesus that we can begin walking in this unbelievable gift that God has promised to us. As we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about a power or a force, we're talking about the very presence of God himself, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God looks at these people in the book of Ezekiel and he says, listen, he says, despite your failures, see the the, the goodness of who I am, I will put my spirit within you. So I talked about this, this last week, that there's something about the people in Ezekiel that I think relate to those of us here in Nashville so easily. There was no one on planet Earth that had more access to spiritual goods and services than the people of Israel. They had the temples, they had the pastors, they had the festivals, they had the, the worship music, they had everything that you could have ever wanted. And God looks at these people who had it all and he said, what you still need is my Holy Spirit. And I go, isn't that a word for us here in Nashville? in a place where there's churches on every corner, where there's Christian colleges and Christian music and Christian conferences, and my staple joke where we have Chick-fil-A, which is Christian chicken. Everything that we have is Christian. Isn't it true that what we need is not more songs and sermons and sacrifices, but we need the Spirit of God to invade our broken lives so that God can help us walk with Christ? And I love this, this moment in Ezekiel. He lays out the big picture last week, and this week we're just going to kind of wrestle it down to the ground and go, what does it look like when the Holy Spirit of God not only invades your life, but what does it look like when the Holy Spirit of God begins invading the lives of God's people communally? What begins to unfold? And there are just three sweeps of this promise that I want you to notice tonight. We're just going to look at three verses. He's going to say, there is a promise of removal, there is a promise of replacement, and there is a promise of redirection. He's going to say, as the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you're going to see removal, you're going to see replacement, and you're going to see re- redirection. And sometimes you're going to see these things all at once. Sometimes you're going to see these things over and over. Sometimes you only see them in parts and in seasons, but all of this will be the work of the Holy Spirit. Don't miss what God is doing in your life. And so we're going to pick up in verse 26 together tonight. And I just want you to, to read along with me if you have your Bibles. Just follow along. This is picking up from last week. This is God speaking to the Israelites. He said, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you, but first I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh, verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you. I will move you to follow my decrees and you'll be careful to keep my laws and you will be alive or you will live in the land that I gave your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. That's the relational language. This is the word of God out of Ezekiel chapter 36. And I want you to notice this. He says, listen, that the Holy Spirit is not just God's promise to the spiritually bankrupt. He says, I want you to notice how the Holy Spirit begins working amongst the community of God so you don't miss it as he starts showing up. He says, so often, the first thing that you begin to notice is this work of removal. Look back at verse 26 with me. I love this promise that God makes. He says, I'm going to put a new heart in you. I will give you a new spirit, but first, I will what? I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I never talked about this growing up, and I never really thought about it. If, if you've grown up in Christian circles, you've probably heard people talk a lot about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And and the truth is, as followers of Jesus, we long to be filled with more of the Holy Spirit. But the truth is, although we long to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we very rarely talk about what the Spirit begins to do in us to make more room for God in our lives. If you think about every revival in human history, whether personal or communal, it almost always begins with removal. And long before we are filled with more of God, so often we are emptied. God will empty us of ourselves so that there will be more of him. And the truth is we all want to be filled, but very, very rarely do we want to be emptied. And there's this moment where God comes to the people and he says, I'm going to make you this incredible promise, but you've got to understand where the promise is going to start. The promise is going to start with your removal. And there's this moment where God is going to help the people embrace the magnitude of their problem so they can then enjoy the magnitude of his promises. So often we want to just get straight to the magnitude of the promise. And he's going to say, no, let me help you see the problem. He says, this is your actual condition. So two and a half years ago, one of my good friends, uh, he started having these weird symptoms going on. He couldn't figure out what it was. He thought maybe it was the flu. And uh, his wife kept saying, just go to the doctor. And that's what wives are great at. They make us go to the doctor. And so he shows up at the doctor, and the doctor looked at some of the symptoms and said, it's just... Something's not adding up, let's run some tests. A week later, he found himself sitting in that very same doctor's office and the doctor walked in and said, I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna lie to you, here's the deal, it's worse than we could have ever hoped for. He said, you have brain cancer, it's all the way down your spine, it's spread to your major organs, you will not survive this. And there was this like, sobering moment when the doctor came in and said, let me help you see just how bad this is. And it's the news that nobody wants to get. And what was so weird was we'd seen him just a few weeks before and everything on the outside seemed fine. And yet something on the inside was just like terribly wrong. And this is, this is what God does with the people of Israel. He says, listen, I know you're going to church. I know you're singing the songs. I know you're serving on a volunteer team. I know you're giving your finances. But let me help you see the condition. He says, the problem It's not that you can't manage your behavior well enough. He says, the problem is that you have this heart of stone. And this is a metaphor that God uses all throughout the Bible. He says, the problem is that you have a heart that is not beating for God. You're a church attender, but you you don't know God, and you, you don't love God, and you don't worship God. He says, that's the problem. He says, you have this internal condition you have this thing that is far worse than you could have ever imagined. I remember you know, several years ago, almost a decade ago now, having a good friend of mine just look, look at me in the eyes, and the Holy Spirit used this question to pierce me in ways that very few things have ever pierced me. He just said, Dave, do you love Jesus Christ? Like, do you love him? I thought, like, yeah, of course i love." let And He says, no, do you love him? Like, Are you in love with him? Do you think about him? Do you worship him? like I know you go to church, I know you do, but do you love them? And it's maybe the most important question anyone has ever asked me. It is the question. It is the question that will be uncovered as we all stand before God. Do you love God? And God looks at these people who had the sermons and the songs and the sacrifices, but what they didn't have was the Spirit of God. And because they didn't have the Spirit of God, they didn't love God the ways that they were meant to love God. And so they were attending services, but they had no intimacy with the one for whom they were made to be intimate. And if the story stopped here, it would be so depressing God comes into the room and he says, here's the deal. Your heart does not beat for me, but I will deal with that heart. He says, I will remove that heart. He said, I will take that out of you. Oh, man, we'll do something amazing in you. I love this this picture, just the glorious, just reality of who God is. You see this so often when the Holy Spirit touches down. You see this in every major revival is that long before the Spirit of God fills a community of people in a fresh way, he begins cleaning out the closets, removing all the darkness, bringing it into the light. Because here's the truth. The Spirit of God has no interest in cohabitating with your pet sins. The Spirit of God doesn't want to lay in bed and hold hands with your idols One of the things that the Spirit of God does by His very nature when He comes into a life, when He comes into a community, He brings the darkness to the surface so Jesus Himself can deal with the darkness because it's there in the light that you'll find freedom. I was telling somebody this the other day. If I was going to describe my uh, spiritual story, if I was going to give you a metaphor, uh, my spiritual journey has looked much like an old house. And just pretend you're standing on the street in front of this old house. And before I became a follower of Jesus, the house was just dark. There were no lights on. But there was a moment about 15 years ago where I placed my faith in Jesus. I was baptized. I received the Holy Spirit. And it's like someone turned a light on in the kitchen. If you're standing on the street looking at my life, looking at that house, you would go, oh, okay there's a light on in, on in there somewhere. It's not a Chevy Chase moment. You're not getting blinded. You, know? you just kind of see it, and it's like, okay, I see a light on. And yet my journey over the last 15 years has been Jesus so tenderly and gently taking me by the hand metaphorically through each of the rooms of my heart, and he'll flip on the lights, and I'm like, whoa, like, t- turn, the, turn the lights off, bro. What are you doing? I don't want to see that. I want to forget about that. And yet Jesus, because he loves you, He will take you through the house, and he'll turn on the lights, and he's like, hey, there's some junk here left by the old tenants. It's time to drag this out to the street as well. I've mentioned this several times over the course of this summer. This has been the story of my journey over the past three or four months. Sydney and I were on vacation back in May, and I'm sitting on the beach, and I'm just asking God, God, are there any areas in my life that are keeping me from knowing you better And Jesus just begins to put his finger on some places in my heart. He begins to introduce me to some rooms in my heart that I didn't even know existed. Like, hey, there's some bitterness here. There's some pride here. There's some fear here. There's some anger. Jesus is taking me through. And the, the, the reality is, as Jesus begins to remove some of the darkness, it always feels so painful. But man, it always leads to liberation and joy. And there's this thing that happens. Happened a few weeks ago in the midst of baptism Sunday. People are giving their life to Jesus, they're being baptized. It's this incredible celebration. And it happens every time people are coming to the Lord. People are also simultaneously confessing their sins. And there's this guy that's sitting there, he's just like confessing his brains down. He's like, I've never told anybody this. I don't know why I'm telling you this. Like, because the Spirit of God is here and the Spirit of God is liberating you. In humans, we conceal darkness. And the Spirit illuminates darkness so that you can walk in the power of God. It's what happens in Acts chapter 19 when the Spirit descended on that community there. It says the first thing that the people did is they began dragging into the darkness, into the light, everything that had been dark. I go, man, this is a move of the Holy Spirit. He says, there's this thing that I want to do in you. He says, but before I'm going to fill you with my spirit, he says, I'm going to start removing who you used to be. I'm going to start removing some of that sin nature. Don't fight it. And don't let your pride or your pity shipwreck what the Spirit of God is trying to do in your life tonight. But I love this. He doesn't stop there. He keeps going. Jump down to verse 27 with me. It's not just about removal. It's also about replacement, and I love this. He says, I will give you a heart of stone. I will remove your heart of stone. I will give you a heart of flesh, verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you. He says, I will put my spirit within you. I go, this is the gospel, and I want you to hear it because it's just so beautiful and so life-changing. It's not that God just wants to remove your brokenness It's that God himself wants to occupy every nook and cranny that brokenness used to have dominion over. It's not that God just wants to remove your old sin nature. God says, I actually want to send the Holy Spirit to indwell your life, your body, your brokenness. I want the Spirit of God to inhabit the very places that your darkness used to run free. This is such an amazing picture. I don't know if you've thought about this recently. And even if you've thought about it, I want to ask you, have you lived into this? For those of you that are Christians, the same spirit that was inside of Jesus as he stood strong in temptation in the desert is in those of you that are followers of Jesus. This is amazing. It's not that God has just given you a theology to stand strong in temptation. It's not that he's just given you some new ideas. God says, I have given you myself. And just as Christ endured temptation, the spirit of God in you can help you do that as well. It's not that Jesus... Not that we just have the spirit that was with Jesus in temptation, we have the spirit that was with Jesus as he prayed for forgiveness for the very ones that were murdering him on the cross. Because some of you are struggling to forgive your parents, or your spouse, or your friends, or your roommate, or whoever it is, and the same spirit that was in Jesus as he uttered those words, Father, forgive them, they have no idea what they're doing, that spirit is within you, those of you that are followers of Jesus. What an amazing gift same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that healed the sick, the same spirit that caused Jesus to humble himself and to serve the poor and to walk with the lowly is the same spirit that resides inside of you. It's not just that God is removing something from you. It's that he's replacing that within you with someone so much more wonderful than you could have ever imagined. Isn't it a crazy thought to think, that God himself chooses to dwell within those of you that have placed your faith in Jesus. Mind blown. <laughs> it's like, wow. I love this image that he gives. He says, it's not that I just remove your heart of flesh. He says, I'm act-, or your heart of stone. He says, I'm gonna give you a heart of flesh and I'm gonna put my spirit within you, verse 26 and 27. And I was thinking about this amazing metaphor, this just image that God gives us here. And this summer, I got studying into heart transplants because I was fascinated by this passage and I stumbled across this video uh, of a speech that um, Senator Frist gave. Senator Frist, before he was a senator, used to be a cardiac thoracic surgeon and he specialized in heart transplants. And he was talking about this miracle that takes place when an old lifeless body receives a brand new beating heart. And he went on to talk about the miracle of seeing that heart beat in someone else's body. And he went on to describe this thing that I'd never heard of. If you want to waste some of your time this week, you can get on the internet and you can Google this. Um, Google tribe of the transplanted. And it's this group of people that have received heart transplants and they've started to notice some really weird things that are happening. There are all sorts of, document documentations of crazy cases where the people who have received a donor's heart begin to desire and crave the very things that the person craved who gave them the heart And so one of my favorite stories was a 24 year old man uh, from australia he received the heart of a 13 year old boy who had died in a car crash and he talked about when he woke up from that heart surgery He just had this like unbelievable craving for Burger King onion rings. Never had craved Burger King onion rings before. And so he started just going and getting Burger King onion rings just over and over and over. And I'm like, dude, you're going to need another heart transplant. You keep eating (laughs) Burger King onion rings. but That's another story. And he's just talking about craving these onion rings. And a few months later, he got to meet the parents of the boy who had donated the heart. And he said, it just this kind of crazy emotional experience. And the dad was just telling him all the stories. This is what my son was like. This is what he did. And this is what he was like. And this is what he thought about. And towards the end of the conversation, the dad just made this simple statement. And he said, do you know what his favorite food was? Burger King onion rings. And he said he just started weeping. And he's like, I've been <laughs> pounding some Burger King onions onion rings and the dad just started weeping because he was watching the evidence of his son's heart beat in somebody else's body and this is the image that God is giving us it's not that when you become a Christian you just have a new set of rules it's that you have the very presence of God himself dwelling within you the heart of Jesus Christ himself is beating within you and the things that Jesus desires you begin to desire I went to church for almost 20 years And I never cared about reading the Bible. I thought it was the most boring thing in the world, irrelevant, I I felt guilty about not reading it, but I just didn't enjoy reading it. So I only read it when I felt guilty. And then the spirit of God started coming up on my life and this weird thing started happening. I started desiring more of God's word. Couldn't even figure it out. Just, I wanna read more of the word. I wanna know the word. Think about what happens uh, to those of you that start following Jesus and you receive the Spirit of God. You start thinking about Jesus and worshiping Jesus and you're wanting to be here. I mean, some of you, think about how weird it is that this is what you do with your Sunday evening. A few months ago, this was not what you were doing. Why are you here? Because the heart of God himself is beating within you. And you start to long for God. You start longing for the holiness of God, just like Jesus did. had this amazing conversation with a guy in our church a few months ago. He's a pretty new Christian, and he was talking about, you know, before he was a Christian, he just really uh, was kind of a womanizer. He would sleep with anyone that would sleep with him, just kind of chew him up and spit him out metaphorically. And he said, then he became a Christian. And one of the great challenges of his life is he says, in this season, he says, I keep fooling around with my girlfriend. I don't want to fool around with my girlfriend anymore. He's just weeping. And I'm just like cheering. I'm like, man, this is awesome. And he's like, what's awesome about me fooling around with my girlfriend? I'm like, no, that's, that's not what's awesome. i was like, what's awesome is that God is doing something in you. A few months ago, you were scheming about how to sleep with her, and now you're begging the Lord to help you walk in purity. That's evidence of God's Spirit within you. You begin craving the things that Jesus craves. It's the reason those of you that are walking in Christian community, as you start being filled with the Holy Spirit, you, you don't settle for skin-deep relationships anymore. Have you ever noticed how exhausting it is to do skin-deep Christian community? That's evidence of the Holy Spirit within you. Jesus gave his life to a handful of people very, very deeply. And as you walk in the Spirit of God, this hunger for deeper community begins to grow up in you. It's the reason we start caring about the lost, caring about people that don't yet know Jesus. One of my good friends, Josh, a few months ago, he was, he was here at one of our worship gatherings, and he's like, man, like, it drives me crazy. He goes, how come there are people in the world that don't yet know Jesus? Why hasn't God done something about that? And I'm like, I don't know, just pray about it. And so, in the middle of the worship service, he's like praying and just, oh. God, have you done something? He comes back and he said, God's sending me. God's telling me to go be a part of it. God's telling me to go be a part of it. I'm like, yes, that's the way that this works because the heart of Jesus, the, the spirit of God is within you. And when the spirit of God is within you, it's no longer just sermons and songs and sacrifices. There's this new heart. There's this new desire. There's this new spirit for God to do something amazing in you. And I go, may we not let pride or pity forfeit what God is putting on the table. And that is this deeper understanding. He says there are moments when the Spirit of God will be this removing force in your life. There are these moments when he will be this replacing force. And I love the way that we end in verse twenty-seven. He says there are moments when we'll be redirecting verse twenty-seven. He says, I will put my spirit in you and I will move you or I will redirect your life to follow my decrees, to be careful to keep my laws and you'll be alive in the land that I gave your forefathers and you will be my people and I will be your God. Man, I just, I I love this moment. I love this. He says, listen. He says, as you come to me as the spirit of God is placed within you, he says, I'm gonna start moving you. I'm gonna start directing you. I'm gonna start leading you into joy and holiness. I'm gonna lead you into mission. He says, you just leave that up to me. I will do something in your life. This happens when you place your faith in Jesus. Like To become a Christian is evidence that the Holy Spirit is moving you somewhere. Remember uh, last year, there's a guy in our church named Andre. He was from Europe. He came here for eight weeks to to work in the music business. He was staying at a hostel. The person who ran the hostel uh, went to Ethos and invited him to come be a part Uh, of worship one Sunday morning and I'll never forget I was standing right over here by the respond banner we're having communion and worship and Andre comes up to me and he says hey my name's Andre and I just became a Christian and I'm like oh wow you know I could hear his accent I'm like cool when did you become a Christian and I kid you not he looks at his watch and he said "Uh, about three minutes ago I'm like wow that's like really specific you know you really kind of have that down and he begins to tell me the story he said yeah he said I just came here with this random person, and we're in worship, and I don't know if you believe in this or not. He said, but I heard a voice, and the voice basically said, Andre, from now on, your life is mine. He said, so I think I'm a Christian now, and you know, we, we baptized Andre, He's filled the Holy Spirit, and he goes back home, and he and I kept in touch about a month ago, he calls me, and he said, God's doing these amazing things in my life. He said, I'm actually a worship leader at this uh, church plant. I'm like, wow! <laughs> like, tell me about the church. And he said, "There's a few of these churches. I don't know if you've ever heard of them before. It's called Hillsong." I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> like what? <laughs> He's like leading worship with Hillsong. I'm like, God, you're amazing, God. <laughs> redirected this guy's life just in incredible ways. And I go, but the, the redirection of the Holy Spirit isn't confined to your conversion. I'm convinced that a lot of American Christians believe that the Spirit of God will move you exactly one time, and that is to be saved. You say, no, I'm going to move you towards salvation, and then I'm going to move you. I'm going to show you what it means to live. I'm going to show you what it means to do life. I remember in high school, we all had to take driver's ed, and I don't know if you ever uh, were in one of those driver's ed classes where you sat in that weird driver's ed car, and there were, was the steering wheel on both sides and gas and brake pedals on both sides, which was really nice when my friend JJ was driving. I was glad that the the, the guy in charge of the class could take over when needed. And there are these moments when you were riding in the car and the instructor would have his hands on the wheel and his hands on the foot and on the brake and gas because he knew that the person driving couldn't be trusted. But there's this beautiful thing that would happen whenever he really started trusting the driver. He would just kind of relax. He'd sit back, take his hand off the wheel, take his feet off the pedals. And you knew that at that moment, he trusted the person driving to do the driving. And I was thinking of that that picture this week, uh, going, man, I think so many of us Especially those of you that are Christians, there's this great temptation. We're sitting in the passenger seat. The Holy Spirit of God has been put in the driver's seat, but we're still holding on to the wheel. We're still pumping the brakes. We're still pushing the gas because a lot of us don't believe that if we really gave every detail of our life over to the Lord, that he can be trusted with every detail of our lives. And so a lot of us have said, Spirit, save me. Jesus, save me do something with me in the future but we don't believe that the the spirit of god can do something with us right now and sydney and i were talking about this yesterday on the couch we're just sitting there going man we've got to keep our hearts open to whatever god is trying to do today is it possible that the spirit of god is redirecting you is moving you into places of greater joy I think one of the saddest stories in all of the Bible is the rich young ruler where this man comes before Jesus and he says, Jesus, what do I need to do to be fully alive? And Jesus says, you need to let me fully lead your life. That's the paraphrase. It says that the man walks away sad because he doesn't think that Jesus can do it. I go, man, there, this is an epidemic and in, in church, we come, we worship, Jesus, what do you want to do? What, what, what does it mean to be fully alive? And then we go back into the world and we take the steering wheel and we take the, the gas and the brake and the Spirit of God is saying, no, Will, you let me drive you. And so there's this beautiful moment that begins to unfold. Ezekiel's saying, listen to the promise that the Spirit of God is not just God's gift to the spiritually bankrupt through the work of Jesus so you can live for the glory of God. The spirit of God is God's gift to the spiritually bankrupt so that your life right here and right now can start reflecting Jesus more clearly. And there are moments when there'll be removal. There are moments when there'll be replacement. There are moments when there's gonna be redirection, but every bit of it will bring God great pleasure and you deep joy as you walk through God in the midst of all of it. I want to encourage you for just a moment and then we'll get ready to go to communion so often as god begins digging up things in my life to give me more of himself there is this weird dichotomy that begins to unfold because so often the things that the spirit of god starts removing from my life seem to leave a much bigger void than that which is being replaced by the spirit of god So I was thinking about this earlier uh, this week. Sydney and I were digging up these four dead bushes. We hadn't given them enough water. They didn't have enough sunlight, so they had died. And Sydney wanted to dig them up. And so because I'm her slave, I did. I dug the bushes up and roots and all, the bushes were about this big. And I dug them up and then we went to Home Depot and we didn't have enough money to replace those bushes at the same size. And so we bought bushes that were about the size of baseballs. I mean, just really small little pathetic bushes. And we put them in these four gaping holes And there was just kind of this like really sobering moment. We're like, okay, look at that huge hole that the dead bush has left. And look at that little bitty live bush that's sitting in there. And there was just this like spiritual uh, metaphor, euphoria that kind of came upon me. I went, man, this is what living in the Holy Spirit is like. You know, so often as we go on this journey together, I believe that God is just going to keep removing some things from our life, from our community, so that we can know Jesus more intimately. And as he removes some of those things, it's going to feel like there's this huge hole. And sometimes the Spirit of God, his presence in your life, is going to feel like a little bitty shrub sitting in a big, old, empty hole. But it's what Jesus said with the parable of the mustard seed. He says, sometimes the smallest seeds yield the biggest fruit. And the reason we're having this conversation is because I believe if the Spirit of God keeps watering that tree that eventually the Spirit of God will take over the entirety of your life and that God will do something that only God can do. And so last week we went, man, look at God's heart for us. And this week, I just want you to really wrestle with a simple question. What is your heart for God? Where's your heart for God? Some of you are gonna discover in the midst of this journey that you need a heart transplant, that even though you've been in church your whole life, you're not a Christian, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Some of you are gonna discover that potentially. I was blown away by this reality. Every year, 90,000 people in America apply for a heart transplant and less than 3,000 get one. I thought, man, 87,000 people turned away. And yet in the kingdom of God, it's a different story. Jesus tells us anybody who wants to receive a new heart will, and that you can receive a new heart tonight. The Spirit of God can invade your life, that you could be transformed Tonight. And I go. Some of you are going to realize you need a heart transplant. I go. Don't let pride or pity keep you from coming before the Lord. saying, God, do whatever you got to do. For some of you, you're Christians and you have the Holy Spirit. You don't need. You don't need a, a new heart, but you need a heart bypass. You have a heart that's not functioning properly. Your arteries are clogged. It's not firing on all cylinders. And some of you, we just need to come back before the Lord and go, okay, we have confidence that we have your spirit. We're we're Christians. We have your spirit. But God, we need more of your spirit. We need you to do something in us. We need you to unclog the arteries of our hearts so we can start living lives that reflect the glory of Jesus. I just want to encourage those of you that are Christians to just have the courage to sit on the table before the Lord and say, diagnose me. What's the deal? Kind of Psalm 139, where David, without pride or pity, comes before the Lord. He says, search me, Lord, know me, Lord, test me, and then lead me in your everlasting ways. And I go, for some of you, you're going to discover that your heart is healthy and wonderful. What do you do with a healthy heart? You keep exercising. You take good care of it. You keep leaning into the very things that God has called you to do. I go, wherever you are tonight, May the peace and joy of Jesus rest upon you and may you believe that the promises of God are yours for the taking because of Jesus Christ. I go, may the God of all hope fill you, Ethos, with both peace and joy so that our lives collectively would overflow with the hope of God as we're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing to fear as we sit in the presence of our good Father and say, search us. So tonight, as we take communion, as you go back the week, I'd encourage you, just get before the Lord, get with your friends, say, God, search me, lay my heart open, deal with whatever's there, because He is a good, 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 good Father. And He wants you to know Him better. Let's pray together, and we'll take communion.